0: The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. This is
1: your cell. This is your bunk. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Live from the Co-Filled Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo.
2: All right. I am Bill Amadeo from... Man and Grable and Associates I guess formerly of the shiny while see six. I don't know what no, happened to the six. I'm getting like so many texts every day. I am out of my mind with work right now, but um, let's lighten it up a little bit. I'm going to tell three stories today. They'll be brief. Hopefully they bring you a laugh because we need some laughter in this crazy world, right? The first will be about a Halloween situation in Ducktown. Like all kids like to go trick-or-treating. Secondly, birthday wishes on Facebook, watch your back, get into that. Don't just post those birthday wishes while you're in court not paying attention. And you know, I'm one of these people that always want to wish people happy birthday on Facebook, you know, just post. Dangerous, and uh, lastly, a Myers wedding party. Sarah Myers getting Teddy some treats did not work well. All right, let's kick it back to Halloween in Ducktown. Now, as many of you know, Ducktown was an all-black and Hispanic neighborhood. We were the last white family, and growing up next to Pitney Village. Even from a very young age, my family was highly protective. Like they wanted to watch their little golden boy. We were poor, but I was special and going to do big things. We got to watch his ass. So he can't go out like the normal kids. And one Halloween, I'm pissed off. I'm just, I'm going to do me. I want Snicker bars and Milky Way's like all the other kids. And we don't have a car. Mom was working, Aunt Mary was working, and Grandpa fell asleep. So I decided I'm going trick or treating, and this made me look at Halloween in such a different way. Um, when Kara recently said, "Hey, we want to take Max out trick or treating," I'm like, "No!" And then I realized, you "No, know, we live in the suburbs of Ann Arbor. It'll be okay." But that's not always the situation when you're trick or treating. So let me break it down. Mom and Aunt Mary are working. Grandpa falls asleep. And I got my big pumpkin and I'm gonna go trick or treating. Let's do this. Now, remember, we're poor back then. So, and I suck at art. You know, people will tell you I'm a horrible artist, but I decided I'm going to make my own Halloween costume and let me just tell you something guys, Going, growing up in the hood of Atlantic City and putting a white sheet on your head like a ghost and walking in the Pitney village is not a good idea. Don't try this at home, but I thought, Hey, I'll go as a ghost. Ow. Hey, you know, when you go up to somebody in Pitney Village in the 90s and say, 80s, 90s, say trick or treat, you better watch your ass. Because sometimes, they won't give you a treat. They'll be a trick. And the tricks were kind of dangerous. Um, so I'm walking around and I'm, I'm doing my loot. And I'm getting all these looks from people. And I realized having a white sheet on as a ghost, as a child, walking through Pitney Village is not a good idea. And, uh... I made it home alive. So my advice to any white kid growing up in the inner city, um, don't walk around with a sheet on your head like that. It's not gonna be good. And I don't know, it just wasn't a good idea. But you know, the cheapest contest was the ghost, right? All right, I explained this to Matt and Jen today and they got some laughs out of it, but it wasn't really a fun memory. I want to talk about Myers. You know, Saturday night, I am going. I'm exhausted. I'm watching college football, and I go to Myers. And Teddy loves Frosty balls. I mean, my boy, he loves his Frosty balls. I've told you stories before. Me jumping up to the freezer aisle. Well, this night. There's a wedding party going on, and I don't know, I guess people at wedding parties go to Myers before and get drunk or whatever, it was really weird, there's all these young guys, and they're in this wedding party, and they're talking about their wedding party, and, you know, I hear the one guy who is the groom say, oh, you know, we're had our problems, but this marriage is going to fix things, <laughs> okay, <laughs> sir. You need to meet Jennifer Kelly, a great divorce lawyer. I'll be seeing you in two to five years. But... <laughs> so I'm walking around in my grungy sweats. Got my earphones on. And these poor morons, they are like playing with these big plastic balls like Triple are like playing basketball and looking themselves in the mirror and flexing. And I'm just shaking my head and I'm getting teddy dog treats this one idiot comes to me and goes, oh, getting dog treats, huh? And I replied, no. Which has these weird stares. I mean, why would you even approach somebody like that? The last thing on this brief live I'm gonna explain is I want you guys to watch yourselves wishing people happy birthday on Facebook. How many people do that, right? Come on. And to me, it's become like embedded in me. I always look for the birthdays on Facebook. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't wish someone a happy birthday today, they get pissed off at you. Doesn't matter if you're lukewarm friends or Facebook friends or serious friends. Do not forget people's birthday. You can't do it anymore because of Facebook. The notifications come up. So I've got a list. It's like eight people the other day. And and I wish happy birthday to somebody who's no longer a Facebook friend. We'll, We'll get into that. But I'm in court. And I'm not paying attention, right? Happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday. Because Facebook has made it easier for you now. Now, all you got to do is click a post. Here's the problem, people, with these Facebook happy birthday problem wishes. Some of them have a heart. And when you send somebody a post with a heart on it, They can easily get the wrong idea. And (laughs) happy birthday, John Granger. (laughs) So, there's a young woman. I wouldn't say she's an ex. Somebody used to date back in the day. I'm taping it, Scott Grable, and don't tell me the damn score. And I just... (laughs) Oh, could you address the scam shares you do when it's an animal and they want you to bump it? Okay, let me just tell you, Mike, when I see a dog in need, I just post it. And I don't realize it. I'm getting yelled at from shy wasps, so I'm sorry about that. But I post happy birthday on this girl's page with eight other people. And I start getting this text message from this young woman I haven't talked to in years. And the text message comes back in all caps, finally, exclamation point three times. I don't even know what she's talking about. But I'm in court and you know, you're waiting for your case to be called and you don't want to forget the stupid happy birthday wishes. So she keeps texting. Are you not going to respond? You clearly remembered it was my birthday. And I'm like, oh yeah, happy birthday. Well, I put a heart on the happy birthday, not intentionally. I just said happy birthday. And it was one of those heart ones. Now, this is a problem, guys. You gotta watch your ass on this. because you put that heart emoji to the wrong person who's not really right in the head, you're gonna have some drama. And I had some drama. So she's texting and she's calling and she's telling me clearly I wanna get back together. Yo, it's been like 15 years, first of all. We never really together. We were two people that were stressed out in a study room at Cooley that hung out once in a while and I bought you a couple drinks. Okay. Apparently she got married and divorced and this and that, but it made her world that I sent a heart emoji. I didn't. I just pressed happy birthday. Now this woman's telling you, you remembered my birthday. You sent me a heart emoji. You want to be back together. Okay. No, I don't don't i don't watch your back on those facebook birthdays <laughs> gotta watch it man it's like scott grable once told me some happy birthdays are about guilt and innocence not and just about risk assessment <laughs> all right somebody's gonna get that joke
1: <laughs> the jail visit with attorney bill amadeo from mcmanus and amadeo connect with mcmanus and amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311 this is the jail visit on shiawassee radio
2: today we're going to talk about the last year in atlantic city which was requested by certain people and we'll bang that up before we start do you have anything you want to live audience is extremely quiet today. I've been working since the ass cracked it on. Hey Kelsey Kells, what's up? So I'm a little out of it and this is going to be a weird one because I'm going to break things down that last year. Before we start that, let's give a big shout out to my close friend Joe Aberra. Happy birthday, Joe. One of my best friends in the world. You guys know the flat tire incident. That was captured on Facebook Live, but there's so many more great things about Joe Abera. Who I hope one day is the Sheriff in Shiawassee. Um, He is a great guy. Close confidant. (coughs) I tell Joe things I don't tell many other people. We have a very close-knit relationship. He's like a voice of reason at times. And, yeah. While the personalities are different, let me just tell you. he, He gets me. Happy birthday, friend. He gets me. I look to him for a lot of advice on things, and he's very level headed, even though we don't always see things in the criminal justice system the same. Sometimes you'll see Joe popping shit about getting criminals off, and I'm telling him how constitutional rights are violated. Um, Great legal mind, he knows law enforcement well. Somebody I truly look up to. So birthday, my friend. I'm looking forward to SummerSlam. Let's kick it back to August of 2003 to August of 2004. That was my last year in Atlantic City. Um... <laughs> Thank you, Grable and Associates, for your commentary. And let me tell you something, Mr. Grable. Earlier you were mocking me saying, is this gonna pump game six of the NBA Eastern Conference finals? Now it's not. Last year in Jersey was kind of strange. And you never get to that point in life when like, you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. You want to accomplish something, and no matter how hard you try, you just can't make it work trying to put that square peg in the round hole and it's frustrating as hell. That's how I felt the last year in Jersey. You want to be in law school so bad and you're working in the casino. And you know, many people in the casino, and I've learned a lot from, there's Jerry Dowdy, may he rest in peace. There's so many great people. Jim Souter was a Facebook friend, but there were so many pure assholes. That were truly rooting for me not to get into law school, and in that interval when you couldn't break the barrier and you know was dyslexia, couldn't see the LSAT straight. Because once I could see things straight, boy, I become an arrogant prick. But that being said, you're like battling this LSAT, and the LSAT was life. To get into law school, you have to take the LSAT and i've told people this before you graduate college to take the lsat you get the lsat score to get in the law school you get the grades in law school to pass the book to practice for the bar you pass the bar to practice in the real world and none of these have anything to do with one another and the lsat was this one brutal hurdle i just sucked at it and we learned later having dyslexia and taking the lsat it is just horrible and my score finally got to that 150 mark which is like the middle mark And finally some schools were taking me and I decided I was going to go to Michigan. It was between Rutgers and Cooley and Rutgers. That's a long story. That's been a blog in and of itself, but I'm going to go to Cooley. And you know, when you decide to leave your comfort zone and this is where I want people to really hone in on this, leaving your comfort zone is a dangerous thing, guys, very dangerous i take a shot at that job that relationship whatever it is but the comfort zone is like this vortex that traps people and i was in a comfort zone and you could be in a comfort zone and be completely miserable let me elaborate on that i'm working in the casino i working out a lot of boxing i'm writing on the side i'm taking the LSAT, set and in the casino you're making decent money the time and the circumstance and i had a condo and i was helping out aunt mary and mom with bills and you know you had your fans your social clique your this your that and the routine the routine to me is one of the most dangerous things in the world you became a part of this routine and whether or not we believe it we all become products of learned behavior right it just it is what it is and remember one day I'm in the bar, it's a bartending. And I said to myself, if I buy one property a year for the next 20 years, I'll have X amount of dollars. Then I said to myself, holy shit, I just mapped out a plan where I'm gonna be bartending the next 20 years. I think bartending is a noble profession. Some of my best friends are bartenders and cocktail waitresses back home. But I'm just gonna tell you, for me, it was the third layer of hell. You want to be in law school and you can't get in. And it's like a dream that's just going to collapse now. You know, that's where you're at with it. You become part of the routine. You embrace the routine. You date certain women. You hang out with certain people. You go to the gym certain times. You shoot hoops. You study for the LSAT. You pick up overtime at work that it became like the Stepford Wives in some way. And I decide the one place I know that if I decide to leave would be Michigan. Cooley took me. And, you know, I'm wearing a Cooley jersey today, whatever. All the things I can say about Cooley, there's a lot of things I've said and will say in the future. But they did take a shot on me. And I appreciate that. They did it for $150,000 in financial aid money, but they did take a shot. And the thing about Jersey, I'm going to explain some Jerseyisms today. Jersey has a way of crushing dreams. To leave Jersey for Michigan was a risky move. And here's why if you fail out of low school, you don't have your seniority number anymore. You're gambling on everything. Everything you've accumulated, that pattern, that routine. You're putting it all on black, right? You know what else come out red or green. Roulette term. And during this time, this crisis, this moment, because I knew if I didn't leave then, I was never going to leave. During this crisis, what do you do? You turn to people who you look up to you turn to people that are gonna give you guidance. And that's a mistake sometimes. First person I went to was Father Sullivan. Now, Father Sullivan has been well-documented in my blogs and writings. And at the time, Father Sullivan was a hero to me. And I said to him, hey, what do you think about me going to Michigan? And going out to law school As so I was buying him a steak dinner And he's drinking a Bloody Mary And he laughs He goes, well You're making a nice living as a bartender He goes, there's no shame in not being able to accomplish your dreams You couldn't make it as a baseball player You probably can't make it as a lawyer But you're a fine bartender So just accept who you are and embrace it Okay Sorry, I hope you embraced who you are But we'll, we'll leave that at another time I go to Aunt Mare, who raised me, and Aunt Mare wants me to go for it, but Aunt Mare and Mom are also scared about me leaving. And I don't know in August of 2004 that Mom is less than three years away from death. She kind of hid her cancer from me. And I got this condo. And the condo, boy, if if those condo walls could talk, the condo saw a lot of things. The condo was like my fortress of solitude, if you would. I got this nice little condo on the beach. I paid off, worked hard for that little condo. And I'm thinking if I make this move to Michigan, I gotta make sure Aunt Mary and Mom are financially secure. So one of the ideas I had, was the condo went up in value. If I sell the condo, I can pay off Aunt Mary and Mom's home in Ventnor. And even though I'm not gonna be able to financially contribute like I was, I'm not working there, they'll have no mortgage anymore. That was a play. So, I start looking into real estate and selling my condo. And you know, you're frustrated Of course, do I go to Michigan? What is Michigan? I'm a Jersey kid, right? Jersey's all I ever knew. And what I've learned in life is when people only know a certain area, they believe that's the world. And let me just tell you, as somebody who's well-traveled now, as somebody who's practiced law in Jersey and Michigan and California, been everywhere at this point, life is about risk. But you couldn't tell that to me in 2003, 2004, because you didn't know. Guys, we fear the unknown. Even the unknown can make our life better. We're terrified of it. People are more terrified of change than death. Think about that. And Michigan was going to be the ultimate change for me. And I'm a ballsy kid, right? I mean, I've always had balls. And I'm boxing, and I'm lifting, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and you start realizing certain people you think are your friends are really rooting against you. One person I won't mention because they're deceased now and it ended on horrible terms did everything in their power not to have you go to law school. I could tell you games that were played at Local 54 and certain aspects of things. But at the end of the day, and guys, I want you to really think about this, something my Uncle Sam told me, because I try to be one of these five people. At the end of the day, if you have five people who truly give a shit about you, five people who are willing to sacrifice their own happiness for your betterment, five people who really want what's best for you. You are a very lucky person. You will have friends, you have acquaintances, you will have a spouse, you will have different relationships, you will have this, you will have that, but at the end of the day, you want to gamble on yourself. If you have five people who truly have your best interest in mind, you're extremely lucky. Because most people, they may be happy for you on a certain level, but many people that are in our inner circle do not want to see us succeed. I always talk about how the inner circle evolves throughout time. I'm very grateful for the inner circle I have today. But I will tell you, it was not always that productive. It was weird because she kind of gave up on this law school thing and you turned to friends. And then when you turn these friends, you start realizing people you went to school with have now become more successful than you. And one of the most painful lessons I had is when people I went to high school with were coming to my bar and I'm bartending and they're bringing in their girlfriends or their boyfriends and they're getting drinks and you're the bartender and there's this little arrogant laugh. (laughs) No? I have a martini, Bill, thanks. And part of you just loses your shit. You don't understand you got dyslexia. They don't understand your support supporting your aunt and mom. They don't understand this master plan you had to sell your condo to make sure they were cool before you hold ass and did you. They don't get all that. They're enjoying their drinks the rest of their lives and thinking they're better than you. And relationships are so weird. I'm going to explain relationships in Jersey for a minute. At least 2004. Because when I finally decided it was time to go, it was time to roll. I hid things. I start realizing when I was turning to people for advice that I had to keep stuff close to the vest. You learned, as so many of us learn in Jersey, the danger of being vulnerable. You learn about how your dreams are your dreams and not the other person's. And dating in New Jersey at that time, it was kind of like your dreams in a way, you know? You've had your relationships, right? I get it. But in the casino industry... When you were dating someone, it was best to keep things quiet. He kept it close to the vest. And they did too. He kept it close to the vest for a few reasons. I think many times the casino, especially growing up as a kid in the casino, we learned lessons we didn't need to learn. We learned about compromise, and you learned about heartache, you learn about not being real, you learned how to fake things, you learned how to get people by putting on a persona, you learned more behind the bar than you ever learned studying for a bar exam, and I've said that before and I mean that, and that's a statement that Scott Zolber taught me, and he was right. And there was a girl. And she was into me and one other guy. And it was an exclusive relationship, but he was a lawyer, go figure. And I was a bartender. And I think she liked me more than him, but we broke things down. She was very analytical. And she explained to me how he was more successful than me, and this was going to be a better path for her future. There's gonna be more financial stability, there was gonna be this, there was gonna be that. And while I had these dreams of being a lawyer, I was a gamble. And he was a short thing. And I got it. I understood it. And him and I were cool. You know, we kinda of knew each other playing ball as kids and stuff. We grew up in different neighborhoods, obviously. He really ran that lawyer card and played it. He wanted her, she was a pretty girl. He played whatever angle he had to play. I remember thinking to myself, well, she's not the one anyway, but to lose a relationship because I was a bartender and he was a lawyer, it kind of made you look at things differently. And you start realizing People are gonna like you for different reasons. I always feel like the people that liked me in 2003, in some ways carry value to today, because it's easy to be my friend today, right? I mean, him and her end up together, and I'm a much more successful lawyer than he is today. But at the time it was like two prospects in the baseball team, right? He was something special and I was a question mark. And I guess if somebody wanted me because of my talent, it's probably not the person you wanna be with. But then today, as you move evolve into relationships and friendships and this and that, you wonder like who wants to be your friend because of your talent level and who just really wants to get to know you. And that's one of the things i will give major props to joe a to because he's seen me at my worst and that's just a friend there's some other people that you know it's easy to be my because i bring a lot of things to the table but you wonder if you lost all that where would you be and that was a big thing i learned that last year in jersey it's like huh okay huh. the lessons in life were That substance should always override image. But if you don't have that image, people may never get to know the substance. And then when you're portraying this image, you compromise the substance. And you don't want all this to be shown. And you're playing this game of poker. And that last few months in Jersey, poker became such a dynamic thing for me. I'd work 50, 60 hours in the casino and then I would go play poker, poker, poker. And one of the reasons I was playing so much poker, I was never a great poker player, but I became pretty good for a while because I realized going from Atlantic City to Michigan was going to be one big poker game. And I looked at the poker experience as not just a game of chance. I knew as I was playing poker that last year, heavily, and somewhat successfully, I mean, I made money, it wasn't huge, but I made money. I was studying people. The poker table's fascinating. You look around, who can afford to be in that game, who can't afford to be in that game, who's trying to bluff, who doesn't know how to bluff, the games were playing in life And it became this comfort level To be at a poker table Like a comfort level being in a circuit court And I think the last thing I learned in Jersey That last year Is that most people just aren't real And When you're real It's easy to get scarred And Jerry Dowdy told me be very careful who you let in. Cause you are unique and your is gonna be successful, but it's gonna be painful along the way. And those stumbling blocks, how many people do you really want to know about that? Choose carefully. Life is one big draft. And as I was bartending and going in bizarre relationship to relationship. And grinding on the LSAT. And figuring out how to sell the condo to support Aunt Mary and Mom. And playing an insane amount of poker. And studying for my first term. I just decided, fuck it. It's time. And when you get to that point when you decide you're going to make a change. When you've taken that deep breath. just like, okay, let's just do it. Let's roll the dice there's this level of anxiety there's also this level of relief i can finally be me and when you're in that moment you hit that high note you gotta be careful who you want to show the recipe too atlantic city helped make me who I am. It also taught me so many lessons I did not need to learn. And I think those lessons that were not needed have destroyed so many of my peers. When I think back of that one girl and the lawyer she ended up with, there was a time in life When I would have said to myself, Haha look at me. I'm so much better than him. But then you take a step back and when you get to that point, you can really stick it up somebody's ass. You probably don't want to. The thing about revenge, timing sucks. Because when you get to that plateau, you sure don't care anymore. Then you realize, hey, she's just a girl. He's just a guy. Jersey's just Jersey. Gambling. Condo. Aunt Mary and Mom. Bizarre relationships. The LSAT. Tropicana. And one day, you just pack everything you own into the car, make sure your loved ones are taken care of, and you hit that highway. So I'm really grateful for that last year of Atlantic City. It set the tone for so many things. But so many of those lessons I learned that last year were lessons I kept in silence.
1: The Jail Visit with Attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus & Amadeo. Connect with McManus & Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio.
2: Today, I'm going to follow Mike Bacotny's lead on this and just speak from the heart. You know, speaking from the heart It's tough. I'm going to discuss four things today. One, generalities about the case I'm working on. I did shower at the gym with a towel on, like, before I went in. Two, drama with the media. Three, talk about The Used and their 2002 self-titled album The Used because that came up in detailed text messaging last night and today. I think my take on that. And then lastly... I'm going to send a message to a friend and It is a person who is a friend I'm going to explain Why they are a friend I'm going to explain The importance of that relationship You know we talk about the inner circle And people we let into our world It's really a unique thing Because if there's one thing I've learned Mike trying to follow your lead on this. Um, I'm a master at showing what I want to display to the world. It's like I've taken the game of poker and I have literally evolved into this thing that you'll see at times. And I just want to rip the band-aid off today a little bit and the exhaustion will take part of that. And I wanted to do this live today and give more content to Josh Strickland because I want to do it with the guard being down a little bit. It's not easy for me to let the guard down because I was always told where I come from, the guards down, you get knocked on your ass. If you get knocked on your ass, you can't protect and provide for your loved ones. So the guard's always up and he's all ready to strike, you know, striking is what's necessary. I don't know if striking is enjoyable. Um I think we convince ourselves it's enjoyable. I know I'm certainly guilty of that. Let's start with the case. You feel me on that? Thank you. There's this case. I got to tread lightly here because I know enemies tune in and watch these lives and put them on replay and they listen to the jail visit in hopes of getting me disbarred or suspended and i'm up last night and i take my phone out and i start researching this case again because this case to me it's the ultimate somebody who's completely innocent and we don't care about the truth anymore we care about political agendas and as I'm scouring through my emails and research and concepts and theories that have taken up so much of my world I find something and I'm texting Matt McManus at 3 12 a.m. And I said, look at this, we could add this to emotion. Look at that. You know, and this case is so goddamn important. And it's a situation where the truth doesn't even matter anymore. It's a sales pitch. It's really a fucking sales bitch. And my Uncle Sam, Sam, I always one of the best people I ever met in my life. Took me under his wing, taught me things. And he said to me one time, he goes, you know, Billy, in life, no matter what you're doing, everything comes down to sales. We're selling ourselves, we're selling a product, we're selling a client. And I sometimes feel it is good versus evil. And I'm not going to bullshit. I've defended guilty people. I've convinced myself in the field of criminal law. Because criminal law took me from nothing to something. And changed my socioeconomic status and my perception of how you guys think of me. Then I got to go all in on every case. And I did. There's more mental exhaustion when you know for a fact the person you're representing is innocent. No matter how you feel about your client, whether it is a six-figure case or a pro bono case, we are obligated to go the green mile. That's what we're supposed to do. And when you go in that mile, you're out there and you're exhausted, it's 12 in the morning and you're banging out your phone. And you get up to use the bathroom, you splash some cold water in your face, you try to go back to sleep, you can't stop thinking about this case. I mean, that's deep. And of course, like with so many of my cases, the media gets involved, right? I don't think I've ever been quoted 100% of what I said to the media. It's fascinating. I got to the point when the press contacts me, I like record it. So if I got to say what I really said, I could present that. And I look at the media as this powerful and evil empire. Because what are they doing? They're selling. (laughs) Everything in this goddamn world is about sales. And we have this awesome responsibility to live and work in the justice system and sometimes nobody gives a shit. And it made me think about The Used. The Used was this amazing band, they're still out, but in 2002, hey Ed Cooper, what's up my old friend? In 2002, The Used had their self-titled album. And guys, you know, music is so powerful, right? If you ever listened to an album, CD, Spotify, whatever, right? And as a kid, you enjoyed that music. As you go back years later, you start focusing on those lyrics. You look at how your life has changed. You look at the people that want to be around you. You look at the circumstances of everyday life. And let me be real, man. Everyday life is a more powerful drug than cocaine and heroin combined. You will have the lowest of lows... You will have the highest of highs. And the people that you let into your world will help guide that. And those of us that are leaders have to watch out for agendas for circumstances. It would be real easy at times if I just had a normal goddamn life. Because what I do in my world, what makes me good at what I do and exhaust the shit out of me like today, when I have been looking at my phone at 312 and hitting the gym early and doing jail visits and if I don't work my ass up on the weekend, I'm not gonna be successful. That's been taught to me, right? Right? That's what Aunt Mayor said to me. So that's what you know. And what you do is you do what you know. I don't care if you're a janitor You'd be the best goddamn giant in the world. Care if you're a lawyer, you'd be the worst goddamn lawyer in the world. But whatever your station in life is, it is because you do what you know or what somebody told you you're supposed to do. And that's so goddamn frustrating because we get caught into this, like, atmosphere of who's important and who's not and who's in crowd, who's not. Let me tell you guys, I have been a nobody and I've been the most powerful guy in the room more times than you could imagine. And the difference between that is inches, it's someone's goddamn perception. Somebody said on Google, I was the best criminal lawyer in the state of Michigan, so it must be true. But then somebody said on Google in a chat, I'm a piece of shit, so it must be true. All depends on perception. And when I think of the used in that album in 2002, when I listen to it now, it's more like therapy as opposed to enjoyment And I get my highs, I get my lows. And here we are in this group chat. We're bagging it out, right? These so-called intellectuals that I'm lucky enough to be in this group with. Called from all these different stations of life, right? But here we are. This group of lawyers. And they're talking about their perception of the used. Now, Understanding the power game of life so goddamn well, and believe me, I get it, man. I could easily just go with the flow. Or I could take control of the conversation. I could just be real about stuff. I could be fake. Whatever. And I think back, there was conversations about three songs on that album. First song was Buried Myself Alive, and I'll post these songs later. Buried Myself Alive is one of the songs that put the used international spectrum. I remember listening to this song in 2002 and now listening to it in 2023. Buried Myself Alive is basically saying. That you have reached a new level because of your success think about it listen to some of the lyrics you almost always pick the best time to drop the worst lines I'll stop there for a minute what's he saying there well I mean it's an easy take right if you don't look deep at those lyrics you almost always pick the best times to drop the worst lines he's saying in a painful way i'm going to humor people to be in this certain click but it gets deeper the line that always got to me and i felt the day that i had my own time I took advantage of myself and felt fine. What's he saying there? He's telling you that his talent brought him into a circumstance. Maybe it got him the girl he liked. Maybe it got him to that party he wanted. I don't know. But at some point along the way, he traded a piece of himself to take advantage of the personality he presented to the world. As I'm saying this in the text message, and I realize at this point I'm taking control of the conversation. They're hanging on my every word. I get it. I'm looking deep at these lyrics and I'm just being real about it. The song, Blue and Yellow. (laughs) By the way your hands were shaking, rather waste some time with you. Think about that. Rather waste some time with you. When someone's hands are shaking there, right? What's that saying? It's saying that in this circumstance, you're second best. And that's okay. Give me some crumbs. Let me just be accepted. Let me be in your presence for a minute. And that song just saddens me. Because to me, I'd rather not be in that group. I'd rather not be invited to the high-end party with the elitist millionaires if they're going to chuckle behind my back. I I don't want that. Don't give me your pity. Don't give me your empathy and what this guy is saying is, you know, I'm just going to accept it. I'd rather be at the party for the wrong reasons than stay home for the right reasons. There's pain in that song. Noises and kisses. The song starts by saying, look in my eyes. I'm jaded now, whatever that means. This whole album. It's about coming of age. It's about somebody being lost. It's about somebody who's seeking something, seeking approval. And you realize where I'm from. The concept of seeking approval. And Ed Cooper, feel me on this. We don't seek approval. We take that part off, right? We just convinced ourselves at a very young age, that doesn't matter. We will do our own thing. And when you're from Atlantic City, you grew up in that time period, you grew up poor and you battled through it. Something was lost along the way. And when you're selling yourself, and this is where I relate to the used, when you're selling yourself, You're telling the world, well, you got to take this version of me and go to hell if you don't like it. And you forget at times the people you're dealing with may not even mean to be judgmental, but everything's goddamn learned behavior. That brings me to my last point. I got a friend. And this person, I don't know if you're watching right now, I know you will watch. You're so goddamn unique. What I like about you more than anything is you're real. You just get it. And sometimes you don't realize you get it. When I talk about my inner circle, there's peaks and valleys in life, right? And when I choose to put somebody in my inner circle... I choose people who I feel would be there with me in the battle, no matter what my station was in life. And there's been some weird stations in life. There was being the poor white kid in DuckTale. battling for your life. There was being the college kid that was working full-time. There was taking the LSAT in the union years, but I couldn't get into law school, which I view as my own personal purgatory. Then there was law school. Then there was getting screwed over by the first firm and the battles with the economy. And then there was just going into tutoring and Aunt had and mom dying along the way. And there was struggling. And then lastly, and all the bullshit evolved. And you're rolling through the hell and fire that is life sometimes. I found myself. And I became this, whatever the hell this is. With this came popularity. Came acceptance. Came money. Came people kissing your ass. And that's all good, because let me be real, man. It's real easy to be my goddamn friend today. Who the hell wouldn't want to be my friend today unless you were with the Attorney General's office or something? If you get in trouble with the law, I got your back. If you're in my circle, I'll take care of you financially. I'm the protector. I'm this. I'm that. But what really makes someone special, and this person who is much more special than they realize they are, and I can't put this in the text because the text might get intercepted. And the politics of life say if i sent this text to you and somebody got your phone and read it they're going to twist it so pay careful attention what i'm about to say because i'll say it to your face i'll say it on the phone but i can't reduce it to a text message unfortunately even though i know that text would help you get through the day i simply can't put it in a text you would have been there with that poor white kid in atlantic city high-fiving and laughing and being my friend. And when I was that college kid working my ass off, you would've admired me for protecting my family. When I couldn't get into law school those few years, you would've patted me on the back and said you could do it. When I was in law school, and the times were rough that first term, you would've told me it was okay. When I became the king of the law school, you would have told me, hey B, slow your roll. You would have the power to do that. When I got screwed over with jobs after passing the bar, you would have told me better times were to come. When my loved ones that raised me died, you would have been at the funeral. When I was tutoring, you would have said, it's just a means to an end. you're only supporting Aunt mayor When I was struggling when I came out the Ann Arbor You would have laughed and said, hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel And when I finally got here, wherever the hell here is You would have fist pounded me and said, we're good Cause you're going through those areas right now You make everyone's life better and you don't realize it And I think one of the reasons we're not as close as we are Is because of the circumstances of life geography, whatever you want to put it. But you don't realize how amazing you are. You don't see it. And I can't text it. But I want you to know, I feel it. You're a cut above. There's so many things about you I wish I possessed at times. And there's so many things about me you admire but when you start looking deeper into the picture, you realize everything's been a goddamn trade-off. So, my friend. And I say this because you are my friend. You may not be in that McManus, Grable, Danglish, Kelly click. Because, you know, it's here. But you are so goddamn unique. And when you have those moments... We have those times we just want to break down and cry and throw in the towel. Remember something. You possess something we all admire. And most people aren't going to tell that to you. But you need to know it. And I wish I could just text that to you, but I can't. And you understand why. But thank you for being you. Thank you for understanding why I'm up at three twelve in the morning. And thank you for patting me on the back when the media goes wrong. And thanks for understanding what the use was really saying in two thousand and two. And thank you for being there, even though I didn't know you then. For that whole roller coaster of life. Cause you're one of those unique people. You can just feel it when you're in my inner circle my goal is to make your life better whether it be emotionally or financially whatever you're in and I have to do my part to protect and even though you aren't there physically I want you to know you're there emotionally and we're all better for having known you And I hope in the near future, you decide to say, fuck it, I'm going to do me. Because when you do, you are seriously going to soar. And I'm not just going to be the one that sees it. It's going to be undeniable to even the assholes of the world. Alright guys,
0: have a good weekend. I'm done.